Hi everyone, welcome to the Fallible Management Podcast. Optimism and pessimism. So you may wonder uh, from time to time whether or not you're an optimist or a pessimist or you may get asked the question. And I think there are two completely different ways of even approaching the question on, on determining whether or not uh, you're then a supposed optimist or pessimist. The first method, the classical one, the typical one is uh, is about your stance about particular predictions that you try to do about the future. If you are making positive predictions about the future, then you're an optimist. If you're making negative predictions about the future, then you're a pessimist. Uh, at least that's uh, how this approach goes. Now, there is a problem with this approach, um, and I'll explain that one before going to another approach to assess whether or not you're an optimist or a pessimist. But the problems with this first approach is that it requires a prediction of the future, whereas such predictions are most often impossible to make because they are depending on future ideas of people that will impact the future and that will hence impact your prediction. And future ideas of people are inherently unpredictable because if we could predict the ideas that people will have in the future, then we would already have them right now. So the future is uh, impacted by ideas of people that they still need to get. Um, and so your prediction is as well. And because future ideas are in unpredictable, your prediction is in principle impossible. Let me give an example. Suppose you're trying to predict whether or not you're going to get uh, an interesting job later, a job that you will like. That prediction depends on a lot of ideas that you and people around you in that job uh, still need to get. For example, your boss um, and his or her ideas about how to treat you will impact your prediction and will impact whether or not you're going to have a good job, a job that you like, as well as the ideas you will have in response to that treatment of your boss uh, or the ideas uh, that you have or will have about when and where to change jobs to um, or the number of ideas you will have or still need to have in order to become better in the job that you're doing. So all of those things are ideas that haven't been created today, that are in principle unpredictable to uh, predict today, and but on the other hand will determine and impact your future and hence your prediction about, that you need in order to assess whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. Um, and since that kind of prediction is in principle impossible, I think the this approach is not the one we should take to um, assess whether we are optimists or pessimists. Now, what we typically do then, uh, we're trying to predict anyway. I mean, we don't like the idea that uh, prediction is impossible. I mean, we want uh, security and we want to assess the future anyway regardless of whether it's possible or impossible, so we do it. And then typically what we're expressing is a kind of intuition or feeling. I mean, where else could we go to then our sentiment? If, if a prediction is not possible in principle, then um, we typically follow our sentiment. I mean, if we're feeling good, then we will have positive thoughts about uh, predictions of the future if we're feeling bad they will be bad so essentially your optimism and pessimism then uh, can be reduced to your 
um, feeling uh, at the moment of trying to do the impossible prediction, which you're then doing anyway, regardless of whether it is impossible, uh, but where you then will be relying on your sentiment, uh, maybe also the sentiment that has grown in your uh, social environment. And it will essentially be sentiments and feeling, feelings that then will um, determine your prediction and enhance your optimism or pessimism. But, but because um, there is no such thing as a prediction of the future when it involves a lot of ideas that still have to be created, um, this approach uh, is actually flawed and, and doesn't, I think, really add a lot, um, apart from being an indicator or a barometer of whether or not you're feeling well or not. I think optimism and pessimism needs to look at needs to be looked at from a completely other angle or or using another approach, the one um, I promised to explain the other one. And that is an approach which is independent of how you're feeling about the future at any moment in time. Uh, it's more a kind of almost objective approach to op optimism and pessimism. And it's the stance about whether or not a transformation is possible or impossible in the future. A transformation uh, being uh, your future job evolution um, in, in a positive direction or uh, your social evolution um, in, in, in a positive uh, direction. And, and then you have to ask yourself, is the knowledge to achieve that transformation in principle possible or impossible to acquire? So you're not predicting precisely what that knowledge will be and whether or not it will then turn out to yield a positive transformation. And hence, uh, you can conclude that you're an optimist. You're not making the prediction, this, the precise prediction, but you're uh, asking this the question, are you capable or is an environment capable of creating the required knowledge uh, to cause a certain positive transformation? If you're an optimist, uh, you believe that the transformation is possible in principle and hence the knowledge can be acquired in principle. If you're a pessimist, then you believe that it's impossible. You do not have to have, therefore, a precise prediction uh, in this approach. Uh, it's just a question whether it is uh, possible or not. Now, I could stop here um, and leave you with this objective approach and let you determine for yourself whether or not knowledge for um, causing a positive transformation in the future is in principle uh, possible to be created or not. Um, that already uh, could, could be a, a, an interesting exercise. But let me go one step further and illustrate a position, a possible answer to this question uh, from an author that I follow in this respect, which is David Deutsch, and when in, who, who explains this position in the beginning of Infinity, one of his two books, and where he basically gives an objective answer to the question of whether or not uh, we can in principle find all the possible knowledge uh, to transform the world in, in, a, in a positive sense and hence uh, be almost objectively optimists uh, according to this approach that optimism is the stance that we believe that knowledge is possible. Now his answer is quite um, broad and, and deep um, and maybe I'm, I'm 
not treating it well enough by going over quite quickly, but it involves, it involves two aspects. One is computational universality and the other one is explanatory universality. First, computational universality, that's the stands that our brain, which is basically a piece of hardware um, that is performing computations, um, a physical device, um, and the stance here is that our brain um, obeys the Turing principle, um, which is the idea that it's universal from a hardware point of view and that it therefore can instantiate all possible algorithms that um, describe and explain reality or any kind of as aspect about reality. Uh, so that our hardware, our brain, is universal in the sense that it can... Um, instantiate any possible knowledge about reality and when our brain can instantiate that uh, that's the same as saying that we can understand that part of reality uh, once we're given that knowledge so our physical um, our physical brain uh, is universal um, in the sense that it can instantiate any kind of knowledge that uh, can be instantiated in, in a physical device. Um, so there is no theory, therefore, that cannot be expressed on our hardware, which would exclude us uh, from understanding uh, it. So non-universal hardware is hardware that um, cannot instantiate all possible uh, knowledge and hence uh, perform all possible computations based on that knowledge. That's computational universality, so that's the hardware aspect. Then there's also the software aspect, uh, which is dealt in with in explanatory universality. And that's basically the stance that our mind can discover um, all theories about reality, about what's in reality, how reality works and why. And we do that by conjecturing um, theories about realities and then criticizing them or trying to refute them to detect errors and then conjecture again um, theories about how to solve those errors. And there's basically no barrier uh, for us doing that um, and hence discovering through conjecture and criticism or trial and error, if you want, all possible theories about uh, reality. So um, the laws of physics and all other um, descriptions and uh, explanations about reality, be it moral explanations, um, economical explanations, aesthetical explanation, political explanations, all real expl realistic explanations can be found given our explanatory universality. So there you have it. Um, that's uh, basically the objective answer to the question of optimism, the question of whether or not we as humans are capable of discovering um, the knowledge that is required to perform uh, any kind of positive transformation in the future. Um, uh, and so that is um, basically the objective answer to be an optimist um, and to reject pessimism, pessimism and uh, yeah, uh, especially also reject this first approach to optimism and pessimism, which is basically only gouging at what kind of emotional status you're in. There is an objective answer um, or there is an objective approach to optimism and pessimism. And the one of David Deutsch is an objective answer to the former stance being uh, optimism, uh, which I wanted to share uh, as well as an 
as an extra, let's say. Um, maybe I'll come back to this one uh, later because um, it requires quite some unpacking to really get to the bottom of both computational universality and explanatory universality and how they work together. But for today, that's um, about it. Thanks as always for listening and hope to talk to you soon. Bye-bye.